You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carl Stebbings and Matt Smith. Well, hello and welcome to episode number 151 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings and joining me in the kitchen studio, as always, is my co-host Matt Smith. Hello, hello everyone. How are we all? How are we? We're all good, I think. Yeah. We had a good we had a good feed this evening. I we fed I fed the uh, fed Matt uh, very well this I'm evening. About ready for a for a, for a food well food baby. I think <laughs> food, the word. food baby like a, slip into a coma uh, and just fall asleep. But, yes, we've uh, been we've been suitably fed and we uh, welcome everyone who's joined us in the chat room this evening. Uh, it's the 10th of February. It's a Friday night and uh, it's five past seven. So we've um, pretty much on time again. We're, we are, we're making a, a, a routine of this yeah, thing, Matt. It's quite good. Just don't, let's not mention it. Right. <laughs> it's fine. So so big, I, I noticed uh, Micah just said in the chat room, only three minutes late. That's like starting early. I don't you know. <laughs> but for APG, that's uh, yeah, incredibly early. So welcome in the chat room to uh, to everyone who's joined us in there this evening. And David Corston, Don Sebastian, Owen's in there, Glenn Towler, Jennifer, uh, Liz Piper, Micah's in the chat room as well, our main man Micah, Mash is in the chat room, Philip Davis is in the chat room as well. And uh, we've also got... Uh, uh, well, Plain Talking UK, who's that in the chat? I don't room? know, I've never heard of them. <laughs> I've never heard of them. <laughs> That'll be you, Matt, wouldn't it? Ah, oh, right, okay, yes. yes. <laughs> Just to when confuse I get time, everyone. Absolutely. So uh, we have uh, got a, a very special guest joining us on yeah. the show this evening. Uh, for those of you who follow us on Facebook, you'll know who the guest is. And uh, it's very early in the morning where he is in the world. Um, yeah. So we want to say a massive thank you and a welcome onto the show, Ken Hoke. Good morning. It's wonderful to be here. I can't believe it's like four o'clock in the morning and he's saying good morning. I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah, very well. impressed. <laughs> I'm very impressed. All right. Good evening. <laughs> yeah. That's better. Yes, absolutely. So well, thank you for joining us on, on, our, on our humble little show. Looking forward to having a good uh, chat with you later on. You bet. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. So how, how are things are you, Ken? Obviously, are you, uh, you lying over or are you waiting to fly or are you uh, um, just... Uh... Uh, we just... We just arrived from Anchorage uh, about six hours ago. Uh, I'm in Osaka, Japan. Uh, we flew wow. uh, Anchorage to Osaka and uh, I have a very unusual two and a half, almost three day layover. Wow. So wow. I'm here for a little while. Wow. I, I mean, are we allowed to ask how come or is it just the way that it's fallen? Just the way our schedule worked this week, um, I've got kind of a funny schedule because of the uh, the Lunar New Year and the uh, uh, Chinese New Year uh, celebrations and holiday schedules uh, kind of kind of mixed up our flights a little bit. So yeah, it's sort of an oddball schedule. Oh, that sounds like fun in a lovely hotel as well. What, yeah. what, what, what yeah. more could you want? What more could you need? Absolutely. Oh, no. yeah. Excellent. <laughs> it's got it's got good Wi-Fi. So you know, I'm happy. I can I can handle three days with good Wi-Fi. Oh, excellent! Okay. Yeah. <laughs> he says as it broke up. Then for it the just first literally time. broke yeah. up a little bit. There, as you said that, Ken. <laughs> Never mind. Oh, well. Don't panic. Don't panic. <laughs> Maybe we'll, we'll we'll keep moving just in case. Uh, but uh, uh, yes, so, so we've uh, we've got a bit of housekeeping yep. to do uh, at the start of the show then. And it is, of course, the music you all know and uh, <laughs> most of you love. It's the Patreon music. Yeah, uh, but I think they like it for totally different reasons. They probably what you do, yeah. <laughs> Al I do, the music. I, yeah, I can say, I do, I do feel like it's designed for late-night listening only. I, I, well, Ken will, Ken will <laughs> love the music, then. It's kind right, of, um, okay, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
so let's uh, not insult the guest. Oh no, he loves it. He loves it. Okay, so we've got uh, uh, some thank yous uh, to go uh, for this uh, this month on the Patreon payouts, and we've had a very kind donation through um, PayPal from uh, Tony Stubbings. He sent us a very kind donation mm. through PayPal, which is awfully kind of you, Tony, so thanks a lot for that. And also, we're going to say a big thank you to all our Patreon donators who donate to the show each month yeah. uh, and help support the show. Um, as you know, you know, all guys know what the money goes towards, all the keeping running of the show, mm. and also it's going to help to uh, to get us out to Pittsburgh as well in May for the, uh, for the air show. So a big thanks to Dr. Steph, uh, Stuart Black, Adrian Meacham, uh, Jeff Newman, Liz Piper, uh, Jeff Ward, Ben Todd, York Mola, uh, Philip Labe, uh, Captain Al, uh, Myla, uh, Ryan Harper, Jenny Parkinson, uh, Bakker, and Ray Williams. A big thanks to all you guys for your very kind donations again this month to the show. And if you're listening to this now and you'd like to um, maybe sort of assist and sort of con- contribute yourself, uh, details of how to do that will be coming up later on in the show. Yeah, so keep your eyes and ears open for that. So we're going to start the show then as we do each week with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So if you're ready, Matt. I certainly am. And if you're ready, Ken. I'm ready. Let's go. So kicking off this week's first news story then on the cbc.ca news site. This Do you know, I thought you said the... CBBC then. No, not <laughs> CBBC, no. Not, not <laughs> a the bit of children's channel. programming. <laughs> uh, this one is uh, the headline, Air Canada unveils new retro look with black on planes and uniforms. Mm. Now, I, I, I assume uh, I have some pictures to put up for this one, do I? There is a few, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, so the uh, Twitter chat room that we have, the Twitter uh, listener feed, uh, listener chat room that we have has been been talking about this. Um, <coughs> excuse me, in some depth over the week, and uh, some people like it and some people don't like it. So Air mm. Canada has unveiled a new twist on an old look for its aircraft and uniforms for staff, adding black to its iconic red and white colour scheme. The airline introduced the makeover at events in Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver on Thursday this week. Uh, all the airline's 300 aircraft will soon resemble the Boeing 787s uh, that were on display at the events. The tail, the engines and undersides are black, uh, but the red maple leaf icon will be on the fin. The new look of the planes uh, were designed by international design firm Winkrative. Wink, Wink, Easy for you to say. <laughs> I know. Uh, headed by Canadian entrepreneur Tyler Brule. Uh, it marks a return to the airline's look 24 years ago when it's maple leaf in a circle logo. Known by the French term for a hockey puck, the rondelle was replaced with just a maple leaf. The Air Canada lettering on the side of the aircraft will also now be in black, and currently it's in red. Staff will be getting new uniforms incorporating the black in the airline's last redesign more than a decade ago. The uniforms incorporate a dark blue, long, uh, blue, bleh, dark blue along with uh, red lettering and icons. Uh, now the base colour will be black or grey with red lettering and the maple leaf. The staff uniforms are by Canadian designer Christopher Bates. 
Uh, the first three aircraft sporting the new livery will enter service immediately. The rest of the fleet will be converted in due course. The airline's in the midst of upgrading its fleet and, recent, and recently acquired uh, 23 new Boeing 787 Dreamliners with 14 more planned uh, by 2019 and is also buying at least 45 C-series jets from uh, Bombardier, Matt. Bombardier! <laughs> and all those planes will come with the airline's new colour scheme. Any views on uh, this uh, particular livery, Cam? What do you think of uh, Air Canada's new... Uh, new livery um i like it <clears throat> I, I don't think it's bad however I, it, it's hard not to notice uh similarities to um delta and the first thing i saw when i when i looked at it i thought i thought it kind of resembles delta a little bit yeah i mean Actually, it, yeah. It, it's sort of, <laughs> now you said it, that <laughs> it's kind of like back to basics a bit isn't it i mean mm. it, it's, it's sort of quite um i mean part of me really likes it. i mean it, it is fair to say that the uh, the the twitter chat room has been very very divided yeah. and quite well yeah. and it has proved to be relatively unpopular with a lot of the people in there but i mean i, I must admit i quite like it for its simplicity um, so many companies uh, with their livery and that, uh, make it so busy, you know, like so sort of in your face. I, I quite like the fact that it's it's clean and, and simple. Yeah, Liz uh, Liz has uh, said in the chat room that uh, this year is Canada's 150th birthday, and um, the air or was it AC's Air Canada's 80th. Uh, was hoping for something much bolder. Uh, way too safe and conservative, she said in the chat room. I think it, I said to Matt earlier before we started the show. I think it looks very corporate, very yeah. um, sort of professional, almost. yeah, businessy yeah. looking. If yeah, you know. absolutely. Uh, welcome to Captain Nick in uh -oh. the uh, in the chat room. Also, Glenn Taylor as well has appeared in the chat room. Matthew Bunting Frame, Jonathan Warner. By the way, the chat room's filling up nicely. It is good. That's what we like to hear. So moving on to the next story, Matt. This one is, uh, as always, I haven't a actually looked at it yet, but you. I'm guessing it's probably <laughs> something to do with a, a certain favourite low-cost carrier of yours. It seems. It's a, uh, it's a <laughs> nice. It, well, it's, it's a nice story. It touches on a subject we st uh, spoke about on the last show. Oh, okay. All right then. So this is on the Daily Express website. Uh, now, for anybody who doesn't live in the UK and you don't know what the Express newspaper is, it's basically. Um, well, I refer, I refer to it as toilet paper, personally, but then that's just my, my, my uh, personal opinion. But anyway, so this is the express.co.uk website, and the headline is, Ryanair says it's too nice. Airline claims passengers take advantage of its generosity. Hmm. I'm not... Uh, <clears throat> uh, Ryanair has claimed that its customers are taking advantage of their relaxed hand luggage allowance and now threaten to bring back the one-bag policy. As you say, as you say we uh, alluded to this last week, didn't we? Uh, Ryanair has had a reputation for annoying many British travellers with their cost-cutting methods in the past, but now the budget airline, who believes they are too nice, is claiming that customers are taking advantage of their relaxed hand luggage rules. The island-based carrier made some changes to their baggage policy back in 2013. The new rules allow passengers to bring two pieces of luggage into the cabin. Currently, tra uh, travellers are allowed a cabin bag, which is no bigger than 44 litres, plus a smaller bag no bigger than 14 litres. 
Prior to this, Ryanair customers were only allowed one bag. The airline claims that staff at the boarding gates were also much stricter about the size and weight of the luggage and would often fine people £60 for exceeding those restrictions. But Ryanair boss now believe, but, but Ryanair bosses sorry, now believe that people have been bringing on hand luggage in bags that are far too big to fit in the overhead storage, and this has caused significant delays. Uh, Neil Suran, who is Ryanair's chief financial officer, told The Independent, we're becoming victims of our own niceness. People aren't playing by the rules. We're seeing very large bags coming on board, which is leading to delays at the gate and indeed on board the aircraft. He added that we're asking our customers to stop bringing the body bags. <laughs> nice, stop bringing the body bags. Start bringing the wheelie bags again and we'll all be happy. If, however, that doesn't happen, we'll have to review this along with a number of different initiatives just to make sure that our on-time performances aren't impacted. Ryanair has confirmed to the express.co.uk that they have noticed customers bringing larger than permitted bags on board and may review their current policy if this continues. The news of the low-cost carrier's baggage concerns come at the same time the airline announced its fares have dropped by 17%. Ryan. <laughs> Sorry, just reading the chat yeah, room. Go on. <laughs> no, um, Marsh has put in the chat room that, um, that uh, she says she sees people trying to drag everything as hand luggage, even the kitchen sink. Ah, the good old kitchen sink. The good sink. old kitchen yeah, sink. Uh, actually, we've got uh, someone from Harpjet in the chat room as well, haven't we? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, was, I was going to ask our, our resident uh, uh, ca cabin crew what. Uh, yeah. I mean, it must be seriously though. I mean, all jokes aside, I mean, you know, we we we, we mock Ryanair and we mm. probably shouldn't, but uh, you, I mean, you it do must get to be take a, an extra bag. It does. It it must be a serious issue though. With, like with people literally taking taking the Michael, as it were, mm. uh, taking the Mickey by having these much much bigger bags. Um, and uh, you know it, 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 it's got to have an impact on on people putting these large bags mm. uh, overhead, and then obviously if you do run out of room, suddenly stuff has got to go. Do you know, a few hold. a few years ago when mm. you used to travel with Ryanair, they used to use those baggage frames. You used to drop your bag in to make sure it was the, the correct size. You know those um, size yeah. checking frame. Yeah, but they yeah, don't well, ever seem to use. I've well, never no, seen think, them use um, them now. I think EasyJet still do, don't they? They still use. They've these. got them, but I've yeah. never seen anyone oh, right. have to put their bags in there mm. to be used. But yeah, I mean, it's right. I mean, Ryanair are now apart. You know, apart from a few other airlines, EasyJet obviously don't, as you spoke about last yeah. week. But Ryanair are the one of the few ones that allow you to take two items of hand luggage on to uh, onto the aircraft. Uh, it's the same old story, though, isn't it? It's the minority spoiling it for the majority yet, yet again, again, isn't yeah. it? But, uh, yeah. It's, uh, I dare say with what you do, uh, hand baggage is not quite... Yeah, I don't think Ken has that issue. <laughs> Ken, you could, I suppose you could probably take a car with you, Ken, if you yeah. wanted to, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there are limits. Oh, <laughs> rubbish. We, we usually... I try to travel light. I'll go two weeks on a, just a small travel pro suitcase yeah. um, just b because I have to carry it everywhere, you know, drag it through airport terminals, drag it... Mm with me so yeah I'm a, I'm a light packer we do have a few guys that carry kitchen sinks and multiple suitcases but yeah. Could we I don't cover, know how we they get their stuff up the stairs <laughs> we covered a uh, story uh, last I think it was last week about Spirit Airlines they're, they're shrinking the size of their carry-on bags mm. uh, that you're allowed to take on Ken and if you uh, if you heard that one no I, I, I missed it but yeah they uh, that would be some interesting technology if they could shrink people's bags <laughs> <laughs> I like it yeah 
could be the way forward. So next story, <laughs> moving on uh, to this one is on the uh, oh, are we the Times of Malta dot com. Fantastic <sighs> website, this one. Malta, really? <laughs> the man is obsessed. I and know, <laughs> I know. I've only got to wait a few more months. I'll be back there again. <sighs> Uh, so this one, uh, Air Malta's airline livery wins Russian award. Oh. Uh, flights to Moscow increased to three, week, th- uh, three times a week in summer. Air Malta's colourful aircraft has won the outstanding airline livery uh, section during mm-hmm. the 2016 awards event of Moscow's Cher Metovo's airport. Probably pronounced that completely wrong. <laughs> yes. uh, winners of the awards various categories include KLM, Finnair, Aeroflot, Air Astana, China Southern Airlines, Korean Air, Air France, Czech Airlines, and Air Baltic, among others. Uh, the awards took place uh, with the participation of over 100 representatives from airlines, online agencies, and tour operators. The award comes after Air Malta has moved its Malta Moscow operation to uh, Sheer Matavio. God, we have to get someone Russian on here to pronounce that. <laughs> uh, the airport's newest terminal E in June last year. The airline is currently operating a weekly service, and flights will increase to three times a week uh, in operation with the peak in the peak summer times. Uh, Cher Metevo is one of the top. Well, you've got one of these later, so (laughs) yeah, uh, is one of the top ten fastest growing airports in Europe. Uh, Through a co-chair agreement with Aeroflot, uh, the airport is offering Air Malta customers over thirty destinations within Russia. Now, I have to agree with them, and I'm not saying this because I'm biased because I I love the country, but I think Air Malta's livery is up there with. A really nice. You've got to admit, Matt. That is. I mean, have you put it on the screen? Yes, I put it okay, on the screen. I'm only good. doing it the once because I don't like it personally. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Thank yeah. you, Ken. Yeah. Oh, yeah. See, look. That, now that's a, yeah, that's a paint job. Mm. Yeah. When, when when the air traffic controller says, um, you know, UPS flight 109, follow Air Malta yeah. at your one o'clock. Yeah. I don't have any trouble seeing Air, yeah, air Malta. Yeah, there we are. <laughs> yeah, but. I, you see, but this goes back. This is, this is why I like the Air Canada one because it's not busy. This is the thing; yeah. it's so busy. It just yeah. But like, when you're in the air, Matt, you need a busy paint livery no you don't. so you can see it. So why? when you're a pilot, you can see it. But if you're in the <laughs> right, that's that's why the Cessna 150 I fly has got a big blue and red stripe down the side. You can actually see me. No, when that's I'm that's because it's a go faster stripe. It might actually make it go a bit faster. <laughs> it might make it go over 90 <laughs> knots. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, on to the next story. And uh, this is uh, this is quite an interesting Some story. Some competition. Actually. Yeah, very much Boeing so. And, and this is uh, stuff.co.nz. So this is a, a New Zealand source for this one. And the headline is China's answer to Boeing 737 and Airbus A320 to make debut flight. Oh, this is very exciting. China's first, and I, I'm almost terrified as I read this story out, what comments may or may not appear from Captain Nick as I read this out, so <laughs> you keep your eyes peeled. He's in the chat room. Yes, this is why I'm terrified. <laughs> China's first homemade aircraft built uh, to rival the Airbus A320 and Boeing 737 is set to make its debut flight. The Comac C919 um, or C919, I'm not quite sure how one 
would normally pronounce that. But anyway, uh, the Cormac C919 passenger jet expects to make its maiden flight within the first half of this year as it has completed almost all major tests, state media reported this week, in a boost for Beijing's ambitions to compete with global aircraft makers. The People's Daily newspaper said that the plane had started preparation for its much-delayed first flight and had nearly finished the installation of onboard systems. In 2015, uh, so the uh, C-919's maiden flight had been delayed uh, at least twice since 2014 due to production issues. China first gave us a glimpse of the plane back in November 2015 as the rollout ceremony in, the, in Shanghai. Uh, the narrow-bodied aircraft, which will be able to carry 156 to 168 passengers uh, and aims to compete with Boeing and uh, uh, the 737 and the A320 uh, is a key symbol of China's ambitions to establish itself as a global supplier of aircraft. We tested the whole aircraft, its key components and connecting parts. Uh, the news agency mentioned, uh, quoted by a name I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce, uh, an expert at the Plane Maker Commercial Aircraft Corporation of China's Cormac design and research center it has said the china express airlines is to launch customer for the sorry china eastern airlines is the launch customer for the plane comac uh, previously said that it received 570 orders from the for the c919 passenger jet from 23 customers so now, i'm just going to pop that picture up yeah just looking at the uh, the comac c919 and uh, just think of some of the, the facts and figures on the mm. aircraft. I mean, there's uh, there's on the uh, the company's site. There's no orders from uh, anyone in 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 Europe as yet. No. Um, but uh, it's. Uh, I mean, they're uh, going to have a mixed uh, kind of class with it. You've got some noise coming from the laptop there. Uh, it's going to be a mixed class with 156 passengers, or they can uh, obviously fit with a high density 174 in there. So it is a direct competitor for, I suppose, mm. the 73 and the uh, the A320. Uh, they're going to have uh, the CFM International Leap 1C single turbofan engines on those. Two of those uh, producing uh, between 110, 130,000 um, new or two, 25,000 to 30,000 pounds of thrust each engine. But uh, it's a. Uh, I must admit, when you see the front of the aircraft, it looks in incredibly like a uh, the, the A350, the a Airbus A3. There we go. For those of you in the YouTube YouTube uh, chat, we'll be able to see the uh, video that Matt's just putting out on the screen mm. there. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the the one thing is we we sort of tend to know that that ch uh, ch Chinese carriers will probably uh, prefer this vehicle over, especially if it's sort of being government. Government boasted, if yeah, you see looks, what I mean. I think does it's look a bit A three fifty ish. Yeah, it's very A three fifty ish. I think it'll it'll serve yeah. its purpose, won't it? I mean, that's that's that's. What any is any thoughts on that one, Ken? Have you have you heard of or seen um, seen the? Uh, I think Koma? we need to watch the Chinese very carefully. Mm. Um, yeah, you know when they when they go in, they go all in. Uh, I I have a funny feeling we'll see a lot more of these airplanes. Mm. Be interesting to have a look on board one of these. I'd like yeah. to see uh, perhaps a flight deck picture and see what the um, the systems are like on mm. board. Yeah, look at, look for that one up. I think. So moving on yeah. to the next story, uh, on to actually an Airbus story, and uh, this one is uh, breaking news today. This one has actually happened today, February the tenth. It's uh, 
the uh, airportsinternational.com website, this one. And the headline, Lufthansa introduces the Airbus A350-900. Oh. So Lufthansa has launched its first fare-paying flight uh, using an Airbus A350-900 aircraft. LH-792 from Munich to Delhi departed Lufthansa's uh, Bavarian hub at 12.30 local time this afternoon. The aircraft used Delta Alpha India X-Ray Alpha is the first of 25 Airbus A350-900s that will be operated by the German flag carrier. As a type generally replaces uh, the Airbus A340 on long haul routes. Hear that one, Nick? Special one for you in the chat room there. <laughs> Replacing the A340. Uh, the A350 has a three class configuration offering 48 business class seats, 21 premium economy, and 224 economy class seats. To be fair, Acme Red will pretty much buy whatever the heck they want. Maybe. <laughs> they <probably> I mean, will. <laughs> uh, the type offers uh, many um, economic and environmental benefits, but is also noted for a new cabin lighting system which is designed to match passengers' natural data and nighttime biorhythms. So, ah, the Boeing does that as well. Mm. Uh, it has 24 different settings to provide the right kind of light to enhance travellers' well-being throughout the long journeys. Uh, you will also be able to read more about the aircraft and its innovative lighting system at the print edition of Airport International magazine. Now, I have to say, uh, when when I went to put this picture up, which which uh, of the nose cone there, I panicked because I thought I'd put up the wrong picture and actually put up the same one from the from the C nine one nine. Yeah, yeah, because it I is said. such. It does look very similar. They are, the similarities. Are, mm. I, if I were Airbus, I might be going after <laughs> said um, Comac. So, yeah, I might be going after <laughs> Comac for for copyright infringement. Seriously, the, the, that it's the windscreen, especially at yeah, the front. The way that the, the, do we call uh, it a windscreen on an aeroplane? I don't. W windshield. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, windscreen's good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. the way they curve round. It's that kind of. Um, I think one of our listeners said before in the chat room mm. on the previous show. It's that kind of Zorro yeah. look. The Zorro mask. Yeah, it is. Look. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is as I say uncanny on the C C nine one nine that we were looking at a minute ago, which is a bit scary. But uh, anyway. So moving on, the next story on the StatTimes.com. Yes, indeed. And, and this is, um, yes, uh, this is a cargo-related, actually. It says cargo volume continues to increase at Heathrow Ooh. in January, which is good news um, for, for Heathrow, certainly. So this the story was released on the 10th of February. That is, I think, today. That's today. Yeah. Uh, UK's major gateway, Heathrow, has seen 4.4% growth in cargo volumes in the month of January this year. The airport handled 5.74 million passengers in January, which is plus 4.2%. Heathrow has seen growth accelerate in recent months, suggesting economic resilience as the UK adapts to that horrible word, Brexit. Yeah. Uh, December, uh, it was uh, up 4.4%. In January, it was up 4.2%. Uh, this saw the fastest year-on-year -year growth for those months in six years. The rate of growth for passengers and cargo more than doubled in the second half of 2016 over the first half of the year. Furthermore, since the referendum vote, uh, passenger flows outside the EU have gone up 2.3% and they've been growing more than twice as fast as growth within EU markets at only 
1.9%. Heathrow's expansion programme passed its first delivery milestone on schedule as the government published its draft national policy statement, the NPS, on a third runway at the UK's hub. Heathrow fulfilled its pledge to families and businesses across Britain by cutting domestic charges by over a third, saving over £500 million in airport charges. The uh, discount is a key part of Heathrow's plan to encourage growth outside London by making it cheaper to travel beyond the capital. Um, Airlines are already responding to the new discounted charges with Flybe launching at Heathrow with routes to Aberdeen and Edinburgh from March. John Holland Kay, the CEO of Heathrow, said with record passenger numbers and cargo growth, growth in January, Heathrow continues to serve the UK. We are getting on with our expansion programme so that we can create the new routes that will deliver the Prime Minister's vision of a global Britain as quickly as possible. The launch of the government's NPS consultation is a key milestone and we look forward to working with our communities, airlines and the government to ensure Heathrow's expansion is affordable, sustainable and benefits all of Britain. I don't, now, what does everybody think? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open the, uh, the can of worms here. What does everybody think about a third runway at Heathrow as opposed to... Well, we definitely one need it. Well, There's yeah, no but does it have that. to be at Heathrow? Why can't it be at either Gatwick or Stansted? Gatwick hasn't really got the room, I don't think, to... to I mean, well, they, they were in they, the frame, though, so they must yeah. have room for, for... I think there is room for, well, to, to squeeze one in, but Heathrow, I think, has got more, much more room. Nick would probably be uh, the, the person Yeah, to but surely, surely room isn't an issue. If they sort out the rail links between... Um, mm. uh, sort of basically. I think Gary and Heathrow have got good rail links. That's, that's yes, I know, issue. but th- there are issues with mm. rail links yeah. to Stansted. But I mean, if you improve the rail links, there's plenty of room at Stansted for a second runway. You know, well, I mean, Stansted there probably yeah. would be actually. Yeah, yeah, popular airport as well. It is. In the UK, yeah, Stansted. I just get a little bit fed up of of all the major expansion and things not being anywhere near us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you know what I mean? You have to go all the as, way to Heathrow. As Captain to... Nick and Captain mm-hmm. Al and Pip know, that we, we, where me and Matt live here in the UK yeah. is in the... Um, the, the middle the of nowhere. Middle of nowhere, yeah, to put it. I'm, yeah, a, put I'm it. amazed we can get online, frankly. I know, but I know. <laughs> But uh, have you have you noticed, Ken? Actually, because you're obviously in the in this uh, particular business, have you noticed uh, uh, an increase in the amount of cargo, you know, being moved in the last? Uh, sort of well, months? I can't talk about UK, uh, but y- yeah, I know our our volume is rec- record highs this past holiday yeah. season. Um, I think yeah, cargo is the way to go. Do you I'm, think I'm it's in the right business? Well, absolutely. I mean, do you think it's perhaps because, uh, you know, I mean, air f- air travel is getting cheaper. There's no two mm. ways about it, isn't it? And uh, I mean, certainly from a passenger point of view, we do have the, the low cost airlines to, to thank for that. But I mean, do you think right. maybe that's the, the, the general cost of flying has come down? Maybe that's why people are choosing to, you know, courier their things via via air rather than sea. And I mean, it's obviously it's faster. But, mm. Oh, um, yeah, a lot faster. Yeah. So the, the air travel... Uh, Air cargo is definitely it's a more of a high end product mm-hmm. that has to get get to a destination in so a short amount of time. Perishable goods, as we call it, rather than absolutely, you know, like flowers. Yeah. Valentine's Day is coming up. Uh, yeah. we have oh, re- wow. record shipments of flowers coming from South America. Oh, and, don't get me started. You know, some of the flower growing countries, uh, and that obviously can't be put on a ship. No. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, don't get me started on Valentine's Day. I think Day. a lot of people, oh. Matt, don't realize. <laughs> I mean, I mean, obviously, our listeners do, but. So I think many people, especially people I work with who probably don't know massive amounts about aviation, mm. don't realise just how much stuff is brought in 
to the country by by air, by by cargo jets, and you don't tend to see a huge amount of them during the day because a lot of the work is done um, in the early hours of the morning, mm. um, which um, I very sadly do look at sometimes when I <laughs> wake up in the morning at half past two or three o'clock and put flight radar twenty four on and. Uh, wonder what the the flashing light is above the house and yeah. oh yeah there's a you know a fedex or ups or is mm-hmm. a you know some uh, um cargo carrying aircraft flying over uh, the early wee hours yeah in the I, i've said it before and i'll say it again carlos you really do need to get out more <laughs> <laughs> thanks oh so moving on to the next story uh this one is on uh, mashable.com one of the it's one of the fantastic websites in here and uh well, it's uh, if I can see the headline, it's being I can't covered. See the headline, it's yeah. being covered by something. But anyway, the headline was uh, about uh, whether India was going to change some of its uh, names of, the, of its airports. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have uh, uh, podcast royalty in the chat. Oh, room. Jeff, yes. he's been in there a while. Oh, is he? Oh, my yeah, apologies. Sorry, well, I've while. been busy pressing buttons and reading stories. I'm sorry. <laughs> Carry on. So here's uh, <laughs> so uh, the the uh, story about uh, like I said is about India changing the names of some of its airports. The story goes: Here's a quick challenge. Can you guess a city, or would you be in your plane, or would you be in uh, in if your plane was landing at? Oh damn! I know I should have given this one to you. Lokpriya, Gopinath. Just, just, Bordoli just, International Airport. No, I'm going to try. You hear that? You hear that little noise in the background? That's the sound of smugness <laughs> on my part. How <laughs> about if you were to land at Rajmata Vijaya Raya Shindia Airport? Easy for you to say. And, uh, these uh, are yes. several airports <laughs> in India that are named after historical figures or politicians. The airport in New Delhi is named after former Prime Minister Indira Gandhi for instance, whereas the airport in Mumbai is called Chatrapi. Beautiful, really rolls off the tongue. I know, I know, that's just so good. This is a brilliant one. I so wish I'd have left this one for you. Named after a 16th century ruler of the Maratha Empire. There we go, I pronounce that bit okay. Well done. So making sense of some Indian airport names can be really challenging. Very true. And has been puzzling hundreds of thousands of people who fly into India every day. Uh, God bless the foreigners who are visiting India. It appears the government of India has realised the issue and is considering making rectifications. The India uh, Indian government is considering proposing to rename all the existing airports as well as the, uh, future greenfield airports after the names of their respective cities. Under uh, Union, uh, sorry, Union Minister for Civil Aviation, Jayant Sinha told the Indian Express, the proposal aims to provide... Uh, you guessed it, convenience to foreign tourists and passengers who might not be familiar with Indian personalities. The government is also considering renaming different terminals at the airport after the names of state governors, uh, the paper reported, adding that a set of guidelines on how to carry out the rechristening of the airports will be released soon. Uh, and by the way, the answers to the above challenge are Guwahati, a city in the northeastern state of Assam. Oh, see, I like. And Gwalior, a city in Mahaya Pradesh. We really need to get some Indian pronouncers to do that story, I think. <laughs> so, but so basically, they're going to try and make it easier for uh, for us as uh, as passengers, and I think as for, for for pilots as well to uh, to pronounce uh, some of these airports. I, I don't suppose you've ever flown into any of these airports, Ken, in your. Uh, in your years uh, in India, I've been to Mumbai twice. Oh, Mumbai, okay. Um, yeah, we we've got a uh, around the world uh, route that runs through goes Taipei, 
Mumbai, Dubai, <clears throat> Cologne, and uh, I've done that a few times. But uh, yeah, thankfully we don't have to pronounce those names. I think <laughs> yeah. we just say like Mumbai approach or something yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just use they, they keep code. it simple for the for the uh, out of towners. Yeah, yeah, very, very yeah. sensible. Actually, uh, sticking with uh, Mumbai, we move on to the next story, and this is uh, on the NDTV hmm. website. And now this is this is a uh, interesting story. Uh, I don't know if interesting is the word. Disturbing, <laughs> I think, is the word I'm I'm going to go for. To be honest with you, it's a Indigo passenger opens emergency exit at Mumbai airport one is injured presumably the person who opened the door mm. um, but uh, so as I say this is at Mumbai a passenger of an indigo flight uh, opened an emergency exit of the plane just before takeoff at the Mumbai airport this morning uh, sparking a security scare uh, the people sitting next to him were uh, sorry the person sitting next to him was the one that was injured now that's annoying uh, uh, so an fur or police uh, what's the fur an an fir or police complaint has been filed against the passenger and he has been accused of a major security breach on the Mumbai flight the uh, the, the plane was taxiing on the runway around 11 a.m. when the passenger in seat 12C reportedly forced open the emergency door rolling out the flat uh, the inflated chutes uh, meant for quick eva evacuations uh, the crew immediately informed the pilot surely the pilot knew i mean there must be an alert going oh, there's in, a, there's in a the light cabin if the emergency off, yeah. door door opens uh, so any in the process a co-passenger seated in 12a received bruises indigo said in a statement taking a precautionary measure the captain immediately informed the ground staff about the situation on board and instructed the team to arrange for medical assistance and other necessary action said the airline the flight uh, with close to 176 passengers on board was held up for nearly two hours the the pilot made an announcement after the incident and switched off the engine according to the airline the passenger was handed over to security staff and the central industrial uh, security force which look after airport security uh, any untoward behavior which compromises the safety of our passengers crew or the aircraft is of serious concern to us indigo has filed the fir against this passenger the matter is now with the local authorities the airline says indigo which is a budget airline headquartered in gorgon uh, is uh, one of the most successful private carriers in India. I mean, this is just awful, isn't it? I can't believe... Uh, uh, the trouble is, we don't know why. I mean, it, was it just, you know, was he up to no good? I mean, that's that's the question. Or panic attack, or just didn't, you know, want to... Well, I mean, a panic attack, you can usually sort of... I don't think I'll be wanting to open the, um, the doors, personally. No, but, um... it's not when you're taxiing to take off. I mean, that's... No. Um, I have got that right. I presume if an emergency exit uh, does open, that there is a yeah, yeah. There's there, a, there will be they know on the flight deck that yeah. um, that's that's been there's a, there is a switch on that obviously sets the light off right on the uh, on the on the panel mm. so the pilots know. Yeah, but uh, no, it's a, it's a shame they didn't file. Didn't sign the story why the uh, person um, mm. you know wanted to get off so swiftly. Yeah. Absolutely. But uh, that, they don't that, know yet. That would have put that aircraft out of service for uh, for a while anyway, because obviously the the it has to go back into the shop and have all the um, the slide re you right. know, reinstalled okay. and put in. Yeah. So yeah, that's not good. Not good. Not good. So moving on to the next story on uh, on one of our favourite newspapers here in the UK, the Sun. 
And uh, it, the headline, will this stop airport queues? Passengers at Amsterdam Airport are swapping boarding passes and passports for facial recognition. So Schiphol Airport is trialling the project for three months to see if it cuts boarding times. Um, facial recognition machines have been used at airport passport controls in the UK airports for years with mixed success. But over in Amsterdam, they are now being used uh, for passengers uh, who board aircraft as well. Uh, so KLM and Amsterdam Airport Schiphol are now using uh, a system that identifies customers by their faces instead of using the traditional boarding pass and passport. They are piloting the project in one gate of the airport for three months for passengers who have voluntarily signed up for the program. To take part, uh, the passenger uses a machine in the waiting area to scan their boarding pass and passport and a picture of their face. When it's time to uh, board the aircraft, they then head to the facial recognition gate and pass through once their face has been scanned. It's thought the new software could drastically cut uh, boarding queues at airports. Um, and so Matt's obviously put the pictures on there as we do the stories. And uh, the, I mean, the ones, um, I mean, the, the actual, to believe it or not, when I came through passport control at Luton the other day, my, um, uh, you know the chipped passport actually worked i stood there really? yeah the gates opened up straight away which is amazing but um they are it's definitely worth them trialing this first i think because um mm. i've seen these in action and they they can be a bit slow i mean i i have used it at um i think it was i think it might have been uh Stansted that i came in at and and it worked i have to confess it worked very well um walking mm. through one of the channels um, and we were we were in and out within seconds. I mean, it's um, it's amazing. Have you seen anything like this uh, where you are, Ken? This sort of facial recognition, passport control. Uh, no, I haven't run into that yet. No. I, I know we do lots of fingerprints um, in uh, China and Japan, but uh, not. I haven't seen facial recognition before. Hmm. Well, I I, I'm against it. I don't want people seeing my face. That's, that's <laughs> <just> <laughs> he says coming on a visual podcast. I know. Anyway, we I know. Well, that's only the listeners who see him. Yeah, You're yeah. famous now, Ken. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Infamous, I think, is the correct term. No, that's our last. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so moving on to the next story, Matt, the last one on uh, on the list for this week. Yes. And uh, it's, uh, it's, an, it's, Indeed, a, it's another cargo type story. Yeah, absolutely. Slightly unusual website again. I don't know where you find them sometimes. Uh, the, Marsh the Marshall Town is the website. So it's Marshall the Marshall Town. Dot com and the headline is Amazon to build a giant 1.5 billion dollar cargo hub in Kentucky. Uh, Amazon is set to open a 1.49 billion dollar ca um, cargo air hub to take on FedEx and UPS. Ooh, boo! Uh, the e-commerce giant has secured 900 acres of land in Kentucky that will one day be the home of 40 Amazon Prime airplanes, 16 of which are currently in service. The hub will let Amazon handle more in-house shipping, allowing them to deliver packages faster and cut the costs. Amazon has been an active member of the business community in Kentucky for nearly 20 years, employing more than 10,000 people with full-time jobs across 11 fulfillment center locations. And the air hub uh, in Northern Kentucky Airport uh, in Hebron is expected to create more than 2,000 new jobs. As we consider the places for the long-term home for our air hub operations, Hebron quickly rose to be one of the top of the list uh, as a large, skilled workforce, centralised location with great connectivity.
connectivity to our nearby fulfillment locations and an excellent quality of living for employees, said Dave Clark, Amazon Senior Vice President of Worldwide Operations. We feel strongly that with these qualities as a place to do business, our investments will support Amazon and customers well in the future. We couldn't be more excited to add 2,000 plus Amazon employees to join the more than 10,000 plus who work uh, with us today across our robust operations in Kentucky. The Northern Kentucky location, uh, not far from UPS's major hub, puts Amazon's aircraft in shooting distance of top cities. It also lets Amazon truck, uh, Amazon's trucks reach 11 fulfillment centers in the States. Uh, and a large operation of Deutsche, uh, Deutsche uh, Post DHL, <laughs> sorry, so, uh, yes, and the large operation of Deutsche Post DHL there lets Amazon transfer packages easily abroad, said Brian Clancy, managing director of the advisory firm Logistics Capital and Strategic LLC. Amazon's prime air hub promises to revolutionize the fulfillment industry worldwide, and Kentucky is excited to be partnering with them as they embark on this disruptive, transformative and exciting venture. Hmm. I don't know how... Um, it's, quite, it's, it's, getting, uh, it's getting quite uh, big now, this Amazon Prime. Mm. It, I mean... Uh, Mike has said in the chat room uh, just a moment ago, actually, he said that, uh, where are we? Just scrolling back up to the question there. Mm. Uh, I think Mike has asked Ken how, how that affects UPS because obviously uh, um, I think, I, I didn't know if UPS carried a lot of uh, Amazon stuff in the past. Uh, that's a very good question. We, we carry, uh, actually, I probably shouldn't even comment on what we carry. Um, mm. But yeah, that's... The, this is definitely going to impact UPS and mm. FedEx. Mm. I think it's something both companies have to keep an eye on. I, uh, yeah, I, I was actually Amazon surprised. And, uh, Amazon is definitely making moves to be a major player in, in uh, the package mm. express market. So, mm. and I, th we'll I think just, we'll just have to watch them and see what they do. Yeah, have I, you have you seen their aircraft uh, around Can at all, or any of their? Uh, uh, I've, seen, I've seen a few, um, just in different cities around the U.S. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think they only have what uh, sixteen or yeah, so something, yeah, not right now. Um, um, but yeah, I have seen them here and there. I mean, I must stuff. say, from 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 where we are here in the UK, we had. Um, I know uh, I I occasionally do uh, deliveries for a company that that used to fulfil um, uh, Amazon's um, deliveries, and uh, I've noticed now in this area that they actually have their own couriers now. It's no longer being farmed out to to a sort of you know a third party if you like they're fulfilling their own deliveries even even in a rural part of the world like here now mm. i don't know if i don't know i don't know if i like the idea of um you know an, an all-powerful being personally I, I i think it's uh nice and sensible to share the love and wealth frankly but um there we are perhaps i'm a bit old-fashioned when it comes it's, to that they're, they're big they're, they're big i mean i don't know what's what high school I mean, obviously big in the u.s can but over in the uk here the mm. the prime thing is massive you know you you pay your subscription fee for a uh for a year about 70 i think it's 79 pounds in it in the uk here somebody and, just said in the chat room actually the aircraft are on lease from atlas and mm. uh air transport uh international in amazon prime air livery but you you might like to say you can order something you know i can order something now and it'll be here tomorrow morning yes yeah, that that right. is quite scary yeah, isn't it? it's scary how, yeah. how, how well, it works. that's a big thing in the united states too yeah they're uh, amazon's definitely wanting to 
to bring everything to your to your door that you need. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting that they they chose uh, Cincinnati for their hub for the same reason UPS is in Louisville and the same reason FedEx is in Memphis. Uh, those that area of the United States. Uh, it's within, I think it's like a four-hour flight from 95% of the population of the United States. Uh, plus, plus the weather is pretty mild. Hmm. So they've definitely picked the right place for a big hub. Hmm. So we'll just have to watch them and see what they do. Definitely. Um, Nick, uh, uh, Nick, Captain Nick in the chat room uh, has said that Amazon is great at next day delivery until it gets into the hands of the Royal Mail. Yeah, well, that's, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hmm. yes. Uh, uh, but to be fair, Royal Mail did um, did deliver deliver uh, a T-shirt to Andy um, for us. Um, yeah, who Andy, who designed all mm. the logo and stuff for uh, PTUK, yeah. and uh, I think it, it took less than two weeks to get to Canada. Mm, not bad, so, not bad at all. Yeah, not bad yeah. at all. <laughs> so uh, that's where we bring the uh, commercial news segment to a close this week. Uh, before we chat to Ken, we've got a little t- little segment actually, which mm, yep. was very kindly put together by listener Shud Bakker. Uh, who's uh, who's normally in the chat room, but he couldn't make it tonight because he's nope. uh, he's busy. But uh, he sent us it's a three part story, mm. and uh, it's it's very interesting indeed. Yeah, and it's all about uh, the Mac Robertson air race, uh, which was from London to Melbourne, which happened in 1934. So we've got three parts of this. We're going to play the first part for you now, and then the uh, you know, the next part next week, and then the yep. last part the following. So if you're all ready, sit back and uh, put your cup of coffee ready, or your cup of tea ready, and uh, sit back and enjoy this little segment from Short Packer. Let's go back a little over 80 years. The year is 1934, the date is October 19th, and the location the brand new Mildenhall airfield north of London. It's a night before the longest and probably most prestigious air race so far. The race will take 20 planes from London, England to Melbourne, Australia. In 1934, commercial air travel was still in its early years. There were several airlines that flew within the continents, but only the rich could afford a ticket. In those days, the terms adventure and danger were closely related to flying. It was a risky business. Intercontinental air travel was in its pioneering days. The only feasible passenger route between the UK and Australia was by boat, and that would take a long, long time. This annoyed lots of people, including Mr. McPherson Robertson, a wealthy man from Melbourne who made his fortune in selling sweets. As well as being annoyed, he was also a visionary, dreaming of a scheduled air service between the two continents. To get people interested, he supported an air race from London to Melbourne. This race would go into history as the McPherson-Robertson Air Race, or short, the McRobertson Air Race. I believe it's also called the London-Melbourne Race. When I asked him about his goals, he said to me, quote, While there are many reasons, three might suffice. First, to improve and sustain aviation. Secondly, for stimulating the British aeronautical activities, and thirdly, for making Australia more broadly and practically air-minded. Australia's geographical position is a commercial problem, and always has been, from a distance standpoint. But it is one that I believe aviation can and will solve." The race would visit Baghdad in Iraq, Alalabad in India, 
Singapore and then Darwin and Charleville in Australia. In these cities the planes had to make a compulsory stop. But they were allowed to stop at 22 other places along the route whenever they wanted to. There were two prizes. One was for the first plane to arrive in Melbourne and the other was for the best performance based on a formula that contained speed and carried passengers and cargo. This race was called the Handicap Race. The idea was of course to kickstart a scheduled air service, so you could say that the speed race was to attract public attention and the handicap race was to change the world of flying. It was a clever man, that McPherson Robertson. Okay, back to Milden Hall. The planes are on the ramp, competitors are checking each other out, even some royalty has come over to wish their fellow countrymen luck. I'll pick a few planes and pilots. First, there is CJ Melrose, or Jimmy, among friends. A young Aussie, smiling and a ton of grease in his hair. He has just come in from Australia, flying all the way solo and setting a new record. He tells the journalists that he is ready for the return trip. He is flying the My Hildegard, a de Havilland 8 pussmouth that he got from his mother and named after her. This guy is one of my heroes in this race. And then there was Miss Jackie Cochran, a wealthy lady from the US, one of two ladies in the race. W. Smith Pratt was her navigator. Miss Cochran had planned her race carefully, distributing her own fuel along the route. They were flying a Granville R6H monoplane. There were also three Kiwis, and they were on a shoestring budget. The names were Jim Hewitt, Cyril Eaton Kay, and Mr. Stewart. They were unable to find a company to support them, so they asked their government if they could do a lottery to raise funds to join the race. It all worked out and they were very happy to join. They were flying a Dragon Repeat. Great Britain needed to win this race. It wasn't just a race of 20 planes, no, national pride was involved. So they sent in three specially designed planes with specially designed engines. The planes were built by De Havilland and their designation was DH-88 Comet. They combined speed with loads of fuel for endurance. They had to win, they had to take the first three places. However, the planes were finished just days before the race and not, not much testing had been done. The pressure on the pilots must have been immense. The first plane was flown by Charles William Anderson Scott, and we'll call him Scott from now on, and by Tom Campbell Black. The second by Jim Mollison and his wife Amy, the second lady in the race, and we'll call them the Mollisons. The third was flown by Owen Cathcart-Jones and Ken Walker. So far, all planes were made of wood and fabric, with uh, some steel tubing to strengthen the fuselage. However, there were two planes that clearly announced a new generation of airplanes. First, there was the Douglas DC-2, sent in by KLM Royal Dutch Airlines, it was a brand new all-metal design by Douglas. It was the largest plane in the race, flown by the pilots Koene Dirk Parmentier and Jan Mol, and assisted by mechanic Bauer Prins and navigator Cornelis van Brugge. They were the only plane that was sent in by an airline. They carried three paying passengers and some mail. They were the coach among the race cars. Their big advantage was knowledge of the route and the logistical infrastructure. KLM had been operating a scheduled air service from Amsterdam to Jakarta in Indonesia. In those days, Indonesia was a Dutch colony. And when I say scheduled, I mean just two takeoffs a week. But hey, that is a schedule. K 
KLM was one of the leading pioneers in intercontinental air travel. The pilots claimed that they would do a normal scheduled service to Jakarta, speed it up just a little bit and extend it to Melbourne. Of course, they wanted to perform well. And as we will see later, that led to a very dangerous situation. The other new kit on the block was the Boeing 7, um, excuse me, Boeing 247 Delta, flown by Americans Roscoe Turner, Clyde Edward Pangborn and Rita Nichols. The Boeing and the Douglas shared lots of design features and should have similar performance. But instead of carrying passengers and mail, the Boeing carried extra fuel tanks for endurance. So this was a battle within a battle. Who would win? Endurance or logistics and knowledge of the route? The last plane I'd like to mention was a Dutch plane. It was an all wooden plane made by the Pander Furniture Company in the Netherlands. It was a fast, lightweight airplane designed to carry mail to Indonesia. The designers calculated that the KLM made much more profit on a kilo of mail than on a kilo of flesh and blood, so their conclusion was that a mail-only plane would be very profitable. It's the T-Clipper formula. Another interesting thing about this plane is that, because it was constructed by a furniture company, it probably had the best pilot seat of all. Even 50 years after the event, one of the pilots would claim that that was the best pilot seat he ever sat on. So from now on, we'll call this plane the flying armchair. The crew consisted of the gentlemen Asjes, Gijsendorfer and Pronk. The rest of the field consisted of equally motivated pilots in all sorts of planes. Monoplanes, biplanes, civil stuff and military stuff. For PTUK listeners from Canada, Germany and Portugal, I have sad news. Unfortunately, there were no planes representing your great countries. Join us for part two in the series where we talk about the start and the first part of the race. Part two has already been recorded and sent to Carlos and Matt. I have complete faith that they will make a good decision on when to air it. It might be straight after this part, at the end of the PTUK episode, or it might be in a future episode. I'm sure they know what's best for you. Bye for now. The Plane Talking UK podcast is a voluntary project that aims to keep you informed with the latest aviation-related stories from newswires across the globe. Producing our content does cost money, though. If you enjoy our show, why not help us keep on the air by making a donation towards the server and website hosting fees through PayPal. Any contributions would be greatly appreciated. Are you an Amazon user? If so, why not do your shopping through the link on our website? There's no cost to yourself, and Amazon pays us a small referral fee on qualifying purchases. To find out more about the show and to meet the team, take yourself to our website www.plaintalkinguk.com or find us on facebook at facebook.com forward slash plaintalkinguk on twitter via at plaintalkinguk or get in touch via email on podcast at plaintalkinguk.com thanks Thanks for for listening. listening aviation media has long been the domain of the newspapers and magazines well not anymore i'm steve visher and I'm Grant McCarran, and we're bringing aviation right into your radio. Yes, we're making aviation cool and interesting for everyone. Hang on, aviation's always been cool. Check this out. How cool is this? Grant, Grant, turn that down. 
Here at Plane Crazy Down Under, we've got pilots, engineers, air traffic controllers, industry leaders, even politicians dropping by to talk to us about the amazing world of aviation right here in Australia and occasionally in New Zealand as well. Wow, that's cooler than I thought, mate. Find us at planecrazydownunder.com, on iTunes, or lurking about on other people's podcasts just like this one. We've got crazy accents and lots of great aviation content. And we promise not to talk about the cricket. No, never. Not the cricket. Quack, 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 quack. <laughs> what is cricket anyhow? Something we win a lot. Oh, there oh. <laughs> And we're back, and thank you very much uh, to Short for sending that uh, yeah. first instalment of his story in. We're going to play the uh, second part of that in next week's show. And, uh, yeah, as some of the, this is in the chat room said, uh, great storyteller, Short. Yeah, very storyteller. Yeah, very well done. We, uh, we've we actually got a couple of, uh, just a couple of quick news yep. stories for some military news to, uh, to tell you about. Yep. So if we're all ready, we'll fire we'll, those we'll out right now. Bash on with those now. So on the independent news uh, site, this one, independent.co.uk, and something that happened early this week, we've had uh, some more of our friends from Russia coming over to see oh, us goody. in their bombers. <laughs> so the uh, Royal Air Force Typhoon jets have scrambled again to intercept Russian bombers circling the UK. So the uh, Black Jack bombers uh, were flying around the edges of British airspace in the latest incident. Uh, the Royal Air Force uh, jets uh, were scrambled and uh, spent uh, they spent more than five hours uh, up in the air and keeping track of the uh, Russian Tu-160 Blackjack bombers. Uh, the uh, bombers entered the UK's area of interest from the northeast around 10 a.m. Uh, on the day this week, flying between the Shetland and Faroe Islands, then down the west coast of Ireland and over the Bay of Biscay. French and Spanish aircraft took over the interception, but the two planes then turned around and headed back towards Russia, uh, flying away uh, from the British military's patch. Uh, the bombers passed the coast of the Outer Hebrides and uh, the Royal Air Force spokesman said that uh, they can confirm that quick reaction alert typhoon aircraft from RAF Lossiemouth and RAF Coningsby scrambled to monitor two blackjack bombers while they were in the UK area of interest. At no point did the Russian aircraft enter UK territorial airspace. The uh, typhoons were supported by a Voyager air-to-air refuelling aircraft from RAF Bryce Norton for the mission, which uh, went into several hours. The uh, Soviet-era Tupolev Tu-160s are the world's largest combat aircraft and have been modernised for the ability to carry long-range nuclear missiles. Mm. It was unclear if the aircraft uh, circling the UK on Thursday were armed. Uh, the incident is the latest uh, RAF deployment in response to Russian military manoeuvres following the tracking of Russian warships that passed through the English Channel on their way to bomb Syria last year. So they're back to see us again, man. Mm. Um, yes, they do, like, they, to, they do come, like to come and flirt. I hope they got the a Russian wave from us they? anyway. Oh, I dare say. They did a very friendly military wave. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So what have you got for us, man? Uh, yes, uh, the, the, uh, the next story, or the final story. Uh, this one was actually sent to us um, by William Hardcastle. Uh, and he oh, thank did you, actually, William. 
Uh, yeah, indeed. Yeah, absolutely. And he, he said, uh, uh, I'm sure this story is a little bit exaggerated, um, but it was very interesting nonetheless. And you'll see what, I, what he means by that comment uh, in just a second. So this is from the Telegraph uh, we uh, website. And the headline is, Bored RAF pilot sent 187 passengers into a nosedive dive while playing with his camera. A bored RAF pilot flying nearly 200 service personnel to Afghanistan sent his passenger jet into a nosedive when a camera had he had been playing with jammed the flight controls. Oh, this is a story that actually goes back to last year. Oh, is it? Yeah, oh, yeah, wow. this happened, This happened. Uh, I think it was a, a year or just over a year ago. Wow, I must admit, I missed it sort of first time Yeah, the, uh, the report has come up with this, actually. That's yeah, the, the 6th is, of yeah. February was, I think, presumably when sentencing and things uh, occurred, which is why yeah. it's hit the headlines now. As the uh, Voyager aircraft plummeted 4,400 feet in seconds, passengers were pinned to the ceiling and left thinking that they were all going to die. But after flight, uh, Lieutenant Andrew Townsend regained control of the 197-foot wingspan aircraft. He allegedly lied in both, in, a in both a technical log and a service inquiry and insists the incident had been caused by a technical fault. Uh, the 49-year-old denies two counts of uh, perjury and making a false record in relation to lying, but admits neg negligently performing a duty in relation to causing the camera to collide with the side stick. Uh, Bulford Military Court in Wiltshire heard that Flight Lieutenant Townsend was bored while flying from the UK to Camp Bastion in Afghanistan and was practicing long exposure photography when his co-pilot left the cockpit to get a cup mm. of tea. Uh, his Nikon DS DSLR camera was positioned in front of his arm rest and became jammed with the plane's controls when he moved his seat forward in the incident in February 2014. The camera wedged between his armrest and the side stick, a joystick used to control the plane, which pushed it forward, disengaging the autopilot and causing the plane to nosedive. Nigel Lickley QC prosecuting said the descent was an unannounced uh, was an unannounced sorry the descent was unannounced so passengers experienced weightlessness wow awesome that sounds like cool not uh, they were thrown <laughs> to the ceiling and thought they were all going to die this 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 all happened while he was alone in the cockpit the co-pilot uh, managed to get back I, I'm always terrified to think what's going on in the chat room right now the co-pilot managed to get back to his seat and was in fact on the ceiling while trying to gain control with Townsend uh, fortunately they managed to gain control again of the plane during the nosedive flight lieutenant um, sorry lieutenant sorry Townsend repeatedly swore and later announced to his 187 military passengers he was not sure what caused it both he and the co-pilot were pinned to the ceiling and wrestled with the controls as aircraft plummeted towards the Black Sea, carrying 187 passengers. I won't read on. Yeah, this uh, this story. No I mean, this is this is a fairly old, but it just goes to prove, though, that how yeah. long the the the, the, yes, the prosecuting and, to get to the end of and the stuff. <laughs> yeah, um, how long these take to do? It's mm. not just when uh, you've got yes. stuff that happens in the commercial world, but in the, even in the military world, these things take time to uh, for the prosecutions and stuff to all be mm. put into place and that. But I uh, just have to say, I mean, wouldn't, if this had been a, a proper aircraft, such as a Boeing, with a you know an, a proper control yoke, it wouldn't have happened. You know these side stick oh, things and stuff. Um, anyway, uh, just for Nick that one, <laughs> <laughs> Ken's yeah. laughing there. Yeah, absolutely. In the <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hmm. 
Anyhow, right, so move, 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 move swiftly on then uh, to, uh, yes. obviously, to our special guest that we have with mm. us on the show. Thanks again yeah. to, uh, to you, Ken, for joining us uh, in this early hour for you uh, today. But, Ken, uh, so, um, well, welcome again onto the show. As I said, we've got uh, some questions that are coming in the chat room uh, already for you. Matt's uh, busy scrolling through, finding some of those. But, uh, Ken... Sorry. Tell us a bit uh, about how uh, your your aviation career. How did it all start for you? Was it a, you know a Cessna one fifty or where you um, did you progress? Actually, it, it was yeah. I'm a civilian trained uh, pilot. I started in I think my first flying lesson was 1982 in college. Uh, I went to an aviation university, Middle Tennessee State University in uh, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, which is a little bit south of Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, started flight training Cessna 152, 172s, and worked my way up uh, to got my commercial instrument flight instructor ratings. I flight instructed, uh, flew part 135 charter flights. I, I did a little of everything uh, in the early years. I flew for the uh, Tennessee Department of Forestry, which was a lot of fun. <clears throat> we flew, uh, let's see, a Cessna 206 uh, over forests looking for pine beetle infestations in state forests. That was uh, very exciting flying. Um, let's see, a little bit of forest fire patrol work. I flew... Uh, in charter, uh, got my my cargo started early. I flew uh, airplane parts. Uh, I flew some body parts. Uh, did some uh, <laughs> organ procurement flights for uh, one of the local hospitals in Nashville. <clears throat> Those were kind of fun. We would uh, get a call in the middle of the night to fly a. I was flying a uh, Piper Navajo at the time. Fly up to Nashville, pick up a organ procurement. Uh, it's hard to say, organ procurement team, which was usually a couple of nurses and a doc. Mm. And we would fly to a small town in Tennessee where there had been a deadly auto accident uh, with uh, an organ donor. And wow. these guys, we would taxi up. <clears throat> the crew, the team would jump off, meet an ambulance, get rushed to a local hospital. And about an hour later, they would come back to my airplane ready to go, uh, carrying an igloo beer cooler. Uh, <laughs> and I did not want to know what was no, in the cooler. Pays not to, no. <laughs> just, yeah. just glaze yeah, over they, and move on. Yeah. <laughs> they'd come back out in the airplane, <clears throat> you know, blood on their scrubs, and I'd be like, yeah. yeah you're right. Just get on the plane, and let's go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'd fly them back to Nashville, and they'd go do their thing. Uh, oh, so that was, that was one of the kind of the cool stories I got mm. to do. Um, and being in the Nashville area, we, I also flew auto parts uh, for, there was a Nissan auto plant. We'd fly up to Toronto, uh, pick up spare parts for the uh, auto factory. Sometimes they would they would run short of uh, a, even a small part. They would need twenty of something, and they would they would charter airplanes to go fly get these parts so they wouldn't have to shut down their production lines. Uh, that was that was uh, yeah that was the beginning of my cargo career. And then um, after that, I was hired with uh, American Eagle, which was the the. Uh, American Airlines regional carrier at the time. Uh, we were in Nashville. Uh, I don't. I don't know if anybody remembers Nashville Eagle. That's the name of the company I worked for. 
They later turned into flagship airlines, uh, which some people are more familiar with. They're long gone now. Uh, I flew for them. I flew, started out with Metro liners, flew uh, Fairchild Metro 2s and Metro 3s. Yeah, the twin 19 probably. passengers, mm -hmm. no flight attendants. Uh, then I, uh, I upgraded to the, uh, the amazingly awesome British Airways, or British Airways, uh, British Aerospace, um, uh, Jetstream, Jetstream J31. Another 19 passenger wonder, no autopilot, no yaw damper. <laughs> I felt sorry for the passengers in the back, swinging back and forth. Uh, <laughs> you need, yeah. Need to be keen on, then, on flying to it to enjoy one of those those flights. I fear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I can't tell you how many passengers would get on and just look and go, "Oh my okay. gosh, I didn't think I bought a ticket on this." And then they'd look at me. I was like sixteen at the time. You know, like, uh, are you old enough to fly? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Where's your uh, yeah. Where's your dad? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that was fun. I yeah, I was. I've been blessed with young looks, so you know, I was obviously old enough to fly, but. I, I did. I looked like I was 16, and uh, people would ask me to carry their bags for them. Um, uh, the tips were good sometimes. Yeah. Wow. You also, uh, Ken, you, you also flew uh, one of the more iconic aircraft of, uh, of the passenger, early passenger, 80s, 70s, 80s passenger, the DC-8. I did, yeah. When I got hired at UPS, uh, UPS, the mainstay of the UPS fleet was the Douglas DC-8. I've got my Douglas shirt on. Um, <laughs> we had 48 of them. Uh, and at, one, wow. at one time, I think we may have had 50. We leased a couple of them for a little while. Uh, but I flew that for almost just shy of 20 years. Wow. Uh, sat in all three seats. I was a flight engineer for four years. And uh, first officer for six years, and the remaining nine and a half years that I was on the DC-8, I was uh, in the left seat. I was captain, flying to uh, everywhere from Cologne, Germany. Went to Honolulu, um, flew to took it to Taipei, uh, but mostly in the later years, it was a domestic plane. I flew to uh, flew to Jennifer's Airport a few times, more than a few times. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, out to Ontario, West Coast, East Coast, yeah, all over the United States. Actually, Jennifer it, said uh, in the chat room, uh, Ken, she said, why don't you fly to, uh, to her airports anymore? <laughs> why don't I fly to her? Okay, well, <laughs> uh, it's not because of Jennifer. Um, yeah, um, I, once, once the DC-8 uh, rode off into the sunset, uh, I transitioned over to the 757 and 767, and I'm in an international domicile. <clears throat> I live in Louisville, and I fly out of Louisville, but I'm on the. We have kind of a double domicile in Louisville. We have a domestic 7576 domicile and an international side, <clears throat> and I'm on the international side, uh, which flies. I fly primarily Asia routes. Uh, if if I can hold them in the summer, I'll fly some Canadian routes. And about once once a year, I get over to Europe. Uh, not very often. My family schedule and work schedule, the the Asia trip seem to work out better for me. Uh, so that's why I don't get to see Jennifer's Airport as much as I as I used to. Occasionally, during Christmas schedules, peak schedules, they they throw all sorts of oddball schedules at us, and and I I get in there once in a blue moon, but. Uh, so how was the yeah. uh, how was the DC-8 though, uh, Ken? How what, what sort of beast was that to fly? 
obviously four engine, but very similar oh, to yeah. the uh, it was, 707. It was, it was, yeah, it was awesome. Uh, the mechanics called it the Flying Museum. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I'm a bit of an antique nut. And so you get in this old airplane. And really, it's like you're sitting in this history. Um, and we had airplanes from uh, dozens of different airlines. Some of these airplanes had been flying uh, military charters during the Vietnam War. We had one airplane that had been damaged by uh, surface-to-air uh, fire and had been repaired. Uh, the, the stories for some of these airplanes are just amazing. Uh, and they just keep flying. You know, the, there's a great story about the the strength and power of a DC-8. There was a, uh, a big hailstorm hit our, uh, hit Dallas, I think it was, yeah, it was Dallas-Fort Worth. Um, and dozens of airplanes were grounded because of the hailstones damaging the airplanes except for the DC-8s. The, uh, the joke was that the hailstones bounced off of the DC-8s and hit the other airplanes, grounding them. Uh, and all the DC-8s were able to get out that day after the hailstorm because the mechanics couldn't find damage. So we've got a question for you from the chat room, okay. uh, Ken, from Tony S. Uh, Ken, he uh, asks, uh, what are your thoughts on single pilot operations on cargo planes? Um, my thoughts... Pretty negative, uh, not a good idea. Uh, you you really need, well, the, the airplanes are designed to be flown by two people. They really are. Uh, you you can't. The our current, the current aircraft that are in operation, just can't be flown by one person. Mm. You'd have to have a whole new generation of airplane designed. And I'm sure that's being worked on, uh, and the technology is available, but. You know, we're, we are human, and it's nice to have two people. Sometimes Definitely. you need a backup. Yeah, um, very true. I don't, I don't think we're going to see single pilot uh, heavy aircraft operation for, I think it's going to be long after I yeah. retire. Yeah. Another question as well, um, a, uh, Tony asks a cast as well, do you get to pick your destinations and uh can you explain how seniority works within cargo companies? Because we, we hear, obviously, all the time with the uh, the, the uh, passenger commercial pilots in, who come on the show, how the seniority works with those guys. But uh, as with destinations, can you do you choose to pick them? And, uh, and yeah, how does the seniority system work? We, yeah, we do. Uh, the seniority system at my airline is very, very similar to a passenger carrier. Your seniority is based on your data hire. So uh, the people that get hired first have a, hi a higher seniority number, actually lower seniority number, you know. Um, and the way our system works is uh, we have, we bid every two months, and a lot of <clears throat> passenger carriers bid every month, uh, which is, which seems like you're always bidding. I've done that and it's, it's, it's hard. We do every two months and each, every two months we get a bid packet uh, it used to be stack of papers. Now it's on a PDF, but uh, it'll have all the schedules that have been built for the next two months. And you go through the schedules, pick the ones you want. You can look at the destinations. You can look at the days on and the days off combinations. We've got some that are two days or two weeks on, two weeks off, week on, week off. We've even got uh, 
more like a passenger kind of thing, three days on, two days off, four days on, three days off, that sort of thing. And you just rank all the schedules in the order that you would like to have them. And uh, you put your bid in, and then the company then awards the schedules based on seniority. They take the number, the guy who's got number one seniority, he gets his first choice. Number two seniority guy, they look at his top two choices and take the first one that's available that hasn't been taken yet. Then you go all the way through. So I'm, I'm like, uh, I think I'm about 85 for my fleet. So I have to look oh, at wow. all the schedules, and I pick my top. In theory, I have to pick at least 85 schedules to make sure I get something that I want. In reality, I, I sort of know what other people are bidding. You, you get used to doing this. Yeah. You know, Everybody's got a routine, so I can usually put in about 30 bids and, and know about what I'll get. Uh, and then just to, to make sure, I'll throw in some reserve lines and some uh, less uh, some lines that are less pref preferred by, by some people mm. just to make sure that I, I don't get left with not enough bids. If you don't bid enough lines, the company just assigns you something. And, yeah. you know, you don't want to do that. Yeah. 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 Make sure I, you bid things that have the days off that you need or, you know, so you don't miss stuff from the kids' school projects and things. <laughs> Uh, Liz Piper was saying actually that you mentioning sort of routes and things there as you were saying I think Ken said that uh, Singapore was your favorite airport and she would like to yeah. know why. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh, favorite airport. Yes, yeah, Singapore is cool. Um uh got to be the most high-tech airport that I've ever been to from from a pilot perspective. I hope so. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They they uh, they've got a an amazing computer-operated guidance system on the ground. The taxi lights tell you where to go, and uh, uh, and I, I wrote an article about it on my on my website. It's called the Aero Savvy Guide to Airport Lighting, and it talks a little bit about this system. Uh, when you when you land and exit the runway in Singapore, and Singapore is huge airport. There's taxiways everywhere. It's very confusing. They have green centerline lighting. And to taxi to your gate, they simply say, follow the greens. They'll say, like, uh, cool. you know, Aero Savvy <laughs> Flight 121, follow the greens. And they light up the green lights, the centerline lights in front of your aircraft, uh, a computer does. And, and they're, they're, uh, they're, uh, the computer puts the correct route right in front of you, right on the, right on the uh, taxiway. That's a good That's idea. That's incredible. That's a good idea. <laughs> Oh, it's awesome! Yeah, and when you when you're pushing back from the gate and it's time to taxi to the active runway, the same clearance they say, you know, Aero Savvy Flight 101, follow the greens to runway, uh, you know, whatever, wow. and you, and, the, and these green lights just turn on in front of you, and you just you know push the power up and you drive. I, like I love it. That is yeah. so cool. Oh, so that's Singapore, and plus the layover in Singapore is you know. Uh, you know, it's a, it's an amazing city. Yeah, I bet. Uh, we, so we, yeah, definitely one of my top layovers. Fantastic. We, I'm gonna. <laughs> this is a, a typical Captain Nick question. This and uh, uh oh, the, the oh. question. I know. Uh, okay. For Ken, uh, do you ever get fed up of making your own meals and drinks? Wouldn't you prefer uh, a dozen young blonde ladies to serve you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I saw that one in the chat room. Yeah. Uh, yeah the short answer is no. <laughs> right. uh, I would. Far... <laughs> I would much rather make my own food. Thanks. Yeah. 
<laughs> Honestly, that's that is so. Yeah, we have a good you know we have a good time in the airplane. There's usually like coming over to Osaka that we had a crew of three because we were over eight hours, and uh, you know you take turns cooking, and uh, some some guys uh, take a lot of pride in in preparing meals. Uh, we bring we bring cookie cookie dough sometimes, uh, make cookies. Uh, the, the flights out of Cologne, guys always go to the markets and buy uh, bratwurst and bread and rolls, and, and we're, we're back there cooking bratwurst in the oven. Because obviously um, on the aircraft you fly, Ken, you, you, you must have just the, the, the galley. The, that, is it the standard galley that you'd have on, on, a, on a passenger aircraft, I'm guessing? Uh, well, no, it's a little smaller than a you know, passenger airplane handles hundred, hundreds of passengers. Okay. Uh, we have a small convection oven. It's about... You know, about yay big. Um, it can hold three three trays of meals. Um, uh, there's aluminum foil in there, so you know the bratwurst doesn't go everywhere. Um, <laughs> uh, we've got the, our bigger airplanes, 747 MD11 have refrigerators. The 75 and 767 we have uh, coolers, just a big igloo cooler that they put pack with uh, ice, dry ice. Okay. So we have. Juices, water, drinks, sodas, um, one one hot meal for the shorter flights, two hot meals for the long flights. Uh, on the domestic side and in uh, Europe, on the very short flights, there's usually a cold sandwich, vegetables, uh, you know, and some fruit. Uh, so yeah, we get we get fed pretty well. Uh, Liz says, "Sounds like firefighters cooking on shift." Uh, Richard King has actually said, "Barbecue must be a bit smoky, though." Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. We keep the smoke to a minimum. Right. Yeah, smoke's not a good thing. On don't, set, don't set any alarms off. No, absolutely. Uh, it sounds, sounds like you, uh, you you looked after fairly well on board. You, you look after yourselves fairly well on board. Yeah, we anyway. do. Yeah. yeah, best coffee in the world. Oh, obviously. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. So another question from Tony S in the chat room again. Uh, Ken, uh, what the, this is obviously a, one of the big stories that we've heard of now for quite a few years. Uh, what right. uh, precautions do you t uh, need to take when carrying lithium? ion batteries oh boy oh boy <laughs> uh well uh, a lot of people have heard ups flight six uh, one of our 747s we lost in dubai uh most likely due to lithium ion battery uh we had a dc-8 in philadelphia that uh crew thankfully they got the airplane on the ground and, and escaped safely uh they do not know the cause of that. There's a good, there's a lot of evidence pointing to lithium-ion batteries for that one too. Um, Asiana cargo lost a 7.4 a couple of years ago hmm. due, due to it. So yeah, it's a big deal. Um, and and you know, I was kind of giggling at the passenger trying to open the exit, and I was thinking, well, you know, that's reason number 275 why I don't like flying passengers. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> We, we do have our own uh, set of problems flying cargo, and lithium-ion batteries is one of them. Yeah. Um, the industry, the, the shipping industry and the battery industry are uh, taking it very seriously. Uh, there are new rules on how to ship these batteries, and uh, my company and uh, our pilot union have been working together uh, since UPS Flight 6 to come up with solutions to improve safety and they've come up with some great uh, technology for us. Uh, the cans, the um, 
containers that we load freight in, the big giant containers that they lift up and slide on the airplane. They have designed uh, a new type of light, a lightweight container made of fireproof material. And this stuff is supposed to be able to contain uh, a lithium ion fire uh, for up to three or four hours. It'll get wow. smoky. And we've seen some of the demo videos of these things in, in laboratories burning. Uh, but it will they'll contain the fire. It'll be smoky and nasty, but it'll 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 most the hope is it'll save the airplane and give give the crew enough time to get to land if we're over the water or if we're over land. You know we you know find an airplane airport and land quickly. So um, that's a great subject, and and a lot is being done between both the uh, uh, Boeing, Airbus, all the manufacturers are in on this. Um, the FAA. Uh, companies and the battery manufacturers, cell phone company manufacturers, yeah, they're taking it very seriously and um, uh, hopefully uh, we have good improvements coming out to make it safer. Good. Good to, good to hear. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Safe, safe is good. Safe is good. Uh, Jennifer's asked in the chat room, um, <laughs> could you tell us the most interesting cargo you've carried? Uh, she's put elephants or racehorses or anything like that. Okay, I haven't done racehorses, but that's a big deal. There's uh, s several charter companies that, that specialize in racehorses. And being living in Louisville, home of the Kentucky Derby, we see these things all the time. I think yeah. uh, Coletta uh, Charters has uh, dedicated air aircraft they use for horses. They've got stalls in them, mm -hmm. fly racehorses around. Interesting cargo. Ah. Is there something? Is there something when you look at the manifest one day and you think, really? We we don't actually when we look at our we we get the manifest with the but it's it's a weight and balance sheet. We mm. don't get to see like a list of what we carry. We and we do get a list of hazardous materials that are on board, yeah. and that's very generic too. It just has the name of the manufacturer and what the chemical name of it is. Um, so yeah, we don't we don't get a list to go. Oh, look at we're carrying you know. You know, whatever. Uh, occasionally, you stand and you watch them loading the airplanes, and you see just interesting things. Uh, lots of pharmaceuticals, um, packages from uh, uh, big companies that you know sell sell stuff online. Um, seafood. Seafood's a huge thing, especially uh, on these routes that fly back and forth between Asia. We take seafood over there, and we bring seafood back. Um, that doesn't get whiffy at all. It, um... <laughs> nah, no, no, it's, it's frozen. Yeah, well, and I laugh. The uh, the flower flights uh, in South America, those do get whiffy. They say the guys that fly those go, like, yeah, airplane smells great. <laughs> um, so yeah, there there is interesting cargo. Uh, occasionally, we see stuff. Um, I hesitate to mention specific things just because there are contracts yeah, involved, yeah, yeah, so I don't, I don't yeah, talk specific. So on, on, that, on the flights you do, Ken, obviously uh, you, you've got no passengers behind you, you know, no one to right. worry about, no one to give brief, you know, briefings to and stuff. And, no hard and all times, and yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, on the, on the longer flights you do, because obviously you, you probably do some quite long flights, do you, yeah. do you know, do you just kick back and relax or... Uh, you know, uh, just chill out and uh, in, enjoy the ride, or is that sort of obviously you go through the routines and stuff that you do as a yeah, pilot? I but... noticed somebody in, somebody in said something about wearing t-shirts in the, in the chat room. <laughs> yeah, we 
for instance, we'll talk about today's flight. We left uh, Anchorage, headed over to Osaka. It was an eight-hour, about eight-and-a-half-hour, nine hours by the time we taxied. Um, yeah, w- once we're airborne and leveling off in cruise, um, we, we usually take turns to get up, take, take our uniform shirt off, put on a sweatshirt. Some guys have just put on a sweatsuit. They'll just run it, you know, run in the back. Get a little privacy and put sweatpants and sweatshirts on. Um, we, you know, we don't have to go back and uh, talk to customers. Oh, how lovely! Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, we we essentially were chilling out. Yeah. Uh, some of the pictures that I post on Twitter, um, I, I always get good comments on them when when I put a picture of uh, when I'm on my break and I take a picture of the other two guys up front. Uh, running the airplane, and, and they're wearing T-shirts or you know sweat jackets, and people always comment, "Don't you guys wear uniforms?" <laughs> yeah. but we, and we do. Um, we when we are ex- exposed to the public uh, and and our customers, we wear a uniform. We look good. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know, I rock the brown pants. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, we we do put on a professional image to the general public, and um, you know we're treated like professionals. We we want to act like professionals, and we we want to definitely look the part. Yeah. So when we're leaving the hotel, uh, we're we're dressed. You know, people don't know. Most people don't. They, they always ask, "Who? What airline do you fly for?" I'm flying to Chicago tonight. Are you my pilot? Mm-hmm. Like no, I'm flying cargo. Yeah. Uh, so, but but yeah, on the long flights when we get in in the airplane, we'll go ahead and get comfortable, and then just before top of climb or top of descent, when we're getting ready to descend, um, we take turns, get up, put our uniform back parts back yeah. on, mm-hmm. you know, so, look so, good for the landing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what's the longest yeah. flight you've ever done then, Ken? So far, what, what, what's the furthest distance? It would be Anchorage. Uh, I want to say our current longest flight on my fleet is like Anchorage to um, Incheon. Uh, we used to do Anchorage Taipei, which is really long. Mm-hmm. It's like nine hours, ten hours. Uh, now the 747 guys and the MD-11 guys, they do the ugly long ones. Um, but uh, yeah, for us, Anchorage, Anchorage Osaka today is about the, our longest current flight in our system which which is about eight and a half hours in the uh yeah this time of year there's a great question actually in the chat room from richard he was asking the question um ken are the aircraft always maxed out on weight for each flight that's an awesome question no they're not Uh, (laughs) and it it depends just just like uh you think of a passenger plane some some flights you have 30 passengers that book a seat to uh, Toronto. Mm. And some flights, you're going to have 200 passengers yeah. book a, she- a seat to Toronto. Yeah. Uh, same thing with freight. Uh, it, it varies. Uh, we have certain routes that are, like, always maxed out. Our flights from Anchorage to our main hub in Louisville are often uh, we're at max takeoff weight. And that's because we take all this Asia volume it funnels through Anchorage, and then we have six, seven flights a day sometimes of wide bodies flying uh, freight from Anchorage to the hub in Louisville uh, for sorting and then distribution throughout the U.S. 
so yeah, that that's one flight typically that that we're always going to be for the 767. We're going to be pushing 400,000 pounds wow. uh, for takeoff, and then. Uh, Interesting, our schedule this week is a little bit odd because of um, the Lunar New Year and Chinese New Year holiday. Uh, our flight from Anchorage to Osaka today, we were nearly, we had very little freight. I mean, we were light. Uh, it was almost more like a repositioning flight to get the airplane back out here. Right. Uh, and then once the holiday's over, the, fr- the freight's going to, the cargo's going to come back. And then, uh, so... Occasionally, we f- we fly empty airplanes, J- just like the passenger flights. You see those well, pictures. Say, of- literally for that purpose of, of repositioning, as you say, because I mean, you know, you may, right. you may not necessarily sort of you know, your next load may not necessarily be where you landed. You know exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And some sometimes they have to move airplanes to where they need them uh, after a holiday or after uh, storms. Winter storms are terrible for both passenger and cargo because you, you end up with everything's out of place, and so you you have to shuffle around a little bit. So, so on the flight deck, and can um, obviously the uh, the the passenger aircraft uh, pilots have these? I'm I'm guessing you guys all have EFBs now. We do. I brought mine for show and Way. tell. <laughs> He's got his EFB there. Look. Yeah, uh, doesn't, doesn't that look oh. much more better than having uh, four and a half tons of much um, paper? Much more better. Oh, All right, oh, yeah. much better. It's much more better. <laughs> it's much more better. <laughs> what kind more of better. English is that? Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's it's Suffolk English. But we, that, that's, that's yeah. got to be better than carrying around sort of 25, absolutely. 30 it's kilos It's certainly of, a lot lighter, uh, yeah, paper. absolutely. Hey, yeah. look at that. Oh, look yeah, at that this, is, this is about 25 pounds worth of uh, JEP charts right cool. here. Uh, pl- plus company manuals are... Uh, um, Everything we've we actually have the ability to carry more information now than we could before. So yeah. we have more access to more technical information more than, than you've ever had. Um, yeah. yeah, we probably have twice the information on this that we used to carry in in paper form. Yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, it's uh, well, and everybody can have their own copy. They can take it with them, like you have done now. Um, yeah, you know, it, it yeah. doesn't take up anywhere near as much room in the aircraft itself. Well, I'm guessing oh, on, right. on on the flight deck as well. Can uh, the uh, even on the or the older bones and and the seven five seven six, you've got charging points on there where you can you can charge those units up. Or? Uh, we actually don't on the seven five seven six. They they uh, they have not installed charge units. Now, okay. I think I don't know if they're going to plan on doing that or not. But uh, the way uh, we're authorized to use these on board is they have to be they have to be fully charged when we show up for work. Okay. And then uh, we have a company issue backup battery that we carry in our. Uh, kind of like a power brick. Yeah. Sort of like, yeah. It, it is. It's a yeah, power brick. Yeah. It's a puck about so, yay big. This, yeah. I can't remember the brand name, but it's one of the Matt's brand got, names. Matt's got one here. This sort of thing where it's got a USB um, uh, yeah. uh, port on it, and you just sort of uh, yeah. Absolutely, carry it, carry it in your bag. What a, what a brilliant present that was that someone brought you, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Carlos gave it to me. That's why. Oh, no, no, no. That was my present. Yeah. So, anyway. so we carry that just as a backup. But the ba- the onboard the the iPad batteries last. Um, yeah, I'll get through a three leg night in Asia, yeah. and, and I'll be down to maybe sixty percent. Wow, that is good. Uh, batteries. So, That's good. Yeah. so yeah, they, they last a good good while, and then you just you know charge them up. And we have the backup battery in case. So going back to uh, to the the aircraft weights and stuff again, Ken. I'm guessing obviously because you fly freight aircraft, 
uh, and right. the, these haven't got seats and all the IFE systems and all the weight and stuff inside. When you are empty, um, it must be incredibly easy to take off. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially it, with the seven uh, five. Woof! Off we go. Yes. Like a scared cat. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Both the seven five and seven six. They use like zero runway when we're if we're light doing a reposition flight. It's. Uh, uh, it's fun to take off. It's it's more challenging to land. Uh, having a little weight on an airplane makes it a little easier to land. It d doesn't jump around so much. Uh, t today was a special challenge because we were very light landing in Osaka. We had 35 knot gusting crosswinds. Thankfully, it was my first officer's leg. He, you know, volunteered. <laughs> I volunteered him. Um, to fly the leg but it was gusty and we were bouncing all over the place and we were all just commenting like eee, it'd be nice to have a heavier airplane so just a few more questions then Ken before we wrap up uh, sure. another question from Tony S do the converted freighters fly the same as the dedicated freighters because obviously you have the cargo conversions which are converted from passenger aircraft to freight and then you have the aircraft that are built as freight aircraft yeah um All of our 757s and 767s are uh, dedicated freighter variants. However, the the passenger conversions and a freighter are going to fly exactly the same. Um, the same cockpits. Um, it, it's essentially the same airframe. So yeah, yeah. Easy answer is yes. They're, they're going to behave mean, the what, same. You would you wouldn't know the difference flying one from the other. What are the differences between a, a dedicated um, freighter uh, aircraft and and a passenger one that's being converted? I mean, are, are there any obvious differences in a big door? Well, a bigger door. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, they all have big doors. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they, you the, the a good way to tell if a, if an airplane is converted is look look for the windows look for the passenger windows right yes uh, of course, they, yeah. they won't have glass in them but they'll be covered with yep. uh, aluminum plugs mm -hmm. uh, so that's that's one obvious way you can tell yeah. Um, yeah, Richard has just said no, no, no um, seats, no seats yeah. basically. Uh, Mash, is, no Mash, seats, has asked, yeah. uh, Mash has asked a good question as well, uh, Ken. Uh, do you have jump seat privileges on the UPS fleet? That's a good question, yeah. We, uh, UPS pilots and UPS uh, mechanics and dispatchers all have privileges to fly on UPS aircraft. Most of our airplanes have three to four jump seats, 767 has three fairly nice jump seats uh, behind the cockpit, plus an observer seat in the cockpit. That would be for a Czech airman or an FAA observer or something like that. But it can be used as a jump seat. And we also have reciprocal jump seat privileges with other cargo carriers, FedEx, and then all, most all of the domestic airlines in the U.S. So we carry uh, some domestic passenger pilots and crews to work and they reciprocate the favor and they carry us back and forth to work so that's a it's a, a nice perk we we don't get uh discounted ticket we, we can't get like free f passes and family passes like uh, like a passenger carrier would give out but yeah uh, the nice perk we have is the reciprocal jump seat privileges so last question from me, and then we've got the very last question from Matt, which is always one we ask all our, our guests on the show. But for me, uh, do you, um, I mean, have you ever flown into and do you fly into the UK much at all, Ken? 
I we well we Meyercraft uh, has roots that go to Stansted and oh, oh. East Midlands. Okay. Yeah. So I've been to both of those places numerous times. Um, last few years, for some reason, I haven't been getting out there. Um, like I said earlier, most of my schedules that I bid are these Asia schedules, be, just because they work better for uh, family family life. Let us know when you and, come to Stansted next, Ken. Uh, yeah. We'll treat you to a beer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's, awesome. not, that's not far from us. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's great. Yeah, yeah I'd, I'd love to. Awesome. Now, we, no. ask the, we ask this question to all of our pilots that, that we're lucky enough we to do. have on our show, whether, you're, whether okay. you're humbly trying to mind your own business as an air show or, um, or you're actually on the guest, uh, a guest on the show like you are now. Um, if you could fly any aircraft in the entire... You've got your type rating to do so, uh, and you can fly any aircraft that's either um, no longer flying um, so it can be historical or currently in the air. Which aircraft would you most like to be in Ooh. in the foot, you know, seat one for? Whoa. Uh, I'd be crazy not to say Concorde. Yeah. Do you know that's a really um, popular choice? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's why I hate to say it because, like, everybody's going to say Concorde. <laughs> I need to come up with something really bizarre. I want to say something really cool, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I missed flying the 727. That's one I never uh, got to do uh, and before they got rid of them. So that that would be on my short list, too. That was the first airline, first airplane I was ever on was a United 727 when I was about six years old. And that was just amazing. So, yeah, I, I'd enjoy flying the 72. Fantastic. Well, listen, uh, it's been a real privilege to have you on, Ken. Thank you very, very much for joining us. If you want to find out more information about um, uh, Ken and, and what he does, he's got a fantastic website, uh, and it's aerosavvy.com. That's A-E-R-O-S-A-V-V-Y.com. We'll make sure that we put that website uh, in our show notes uh, for today's episode. I was I was having some great articles on here, Ken. Very good. Thank very you. Good I'm writer. surprised you find the time to 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 update the website, Ken. It it keeps me out of trouble on layovers. Yeah, well, oh, yes, okay. there is that. So, yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's good for the marriage. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. So, like I say, yes, so take like, yourself, honey. What are you doing at the hotel? <laughs> I'm writing an aerosavvy. I'm writing okay. an essay. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, as I say, uh, com is the website as i say www.aerosavvy.com it is a fascinating read for anyone yeah. who loves aviation yeah. thank you very much i appreciate it, it. yeah you can find out more about uh, what ken's done on there as well which is good i read that i've been reading that as yeah well. absolutely yeah so ken we want to say a massive massive thank you ever so much for um for coming on the show i know it's been an, an incredibly early start for <laughs> yeah you. ridiculously yeah, early. no yeah. problem um, I, it's been a pleasure being here and i'm uh, yeah i was tickled to get the uh, invitation so uh, thank you for having me. No, I know the uh, the chat room have really appreciated uh, yeah. you being on the show. Very positive, well. some yeah. positive words for you, sir. Yeah, all very, all very Great. pleased Thanks. to see you. At last. And don't forget to give us a shout when you're uh, when you're over at Stan's. Yeah, next do weekend. absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we'll come you bet. You a beer. So that is where we're going to bring episode one hundred and fifty-one to a close of the Plain Talking UK podcast. Matt, you've got just one more thing to say. Yeah, I just say, obviously, if you want if you want to uh, uh, look up the details of our own show, if you want to follow our social media, oh, yeah. it is facebook.com forward slash Plain Talking UK. Our Twitter handle is at Plain Talking UK. The website is www.plaintalkinguk.com. And our email, uh, if you want to send us, please send us voice feedback. We love hearing your voice so that you don't have to listen to us drone on and on. Uh, it's nice to hear what our listeners sound like and that is podcast at plaintalkinguk.com 
So there we go. Look out for on Facebook for when we're going to be on uh, live again next week. Yep. Probably Friday again, I'd imagine. Can't that. see why not. Yeah, Friday again thing. next week. And uh, yeah, look for the links on there for uh, for next week's show. So we're going to thank everyone who's joined us in the chat room for tonight's show. Chat room's been buzzing massively this yes. evening, and uh, it's been filled up with all of you amazing listeners. And also, Doctor Steph, I saw was just uh, oh. come in the uh, chat room as well. So uh, and oh, there's Je Captain Jeff. Look, see, we've yeah. stolen all the APG <laughs> people. Right? Absolutely, indeed. But uh, but no, there we go. So thank you ever so much again, Ken, for your time this evening. Uh, you've been a fantastic guest. And uh, yeah, that's uh, that's about yeah, where we're going to bring episode 151 to a close. Indeed. So from all of us here in the studio, it, it is time to say goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.